Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. That's always sort of been the, been the animal collective philosophy, you know, just keep keep changing and keep rolling with the with the changes, it seems like even even situations that have, have seemed like they were going to be a disaster or bad, sometimes you just have to turn them into yes, into something good, something yeah, grow from it and, and move on and 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 nothing nothing lasts right, like nothing nothing is supposed to. It's you, you can't hold on to anything really. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. David, tell us about, tell us the story of, um, Invisible Darlings. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> um, this is the this is the single of their your new avatar. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah the the kind of the the focus track for for the for, for putting out the record. Yeah. Um, and I had two other singles before this one. It's like kind of the Invisible Darlings is kind of like the upbeat song on the uh, on the on the record mostly. Um, written on piano and centered around like a very fast kind of moving piano line that kind of goes through the whole, goes through the whole song. Um, and yeah, it's got, it's got a lot of cool. has the feel of like a harpsichord. I almost, uh, yeah, I can see that. I'm, I'm a, I, I like, I do like harpsichords. I'm a, I'm a big harpsichord fan. Listen to a lot of kind of early music, kind of Baroque harpsichord music, actually. Is that where your inspiration comes from, then? The early, early music? Uh, I, I've been, I have been listening to it a lot more in the last few years, yeah, I would say. It's, it's influenced a lot of the... It's influenced a lot of the more uh, more recent Animal Collective stuff. And Animal Collective, we have another record that we're just finishing up that uh, hopefully we'll be able to put out sometime. <laughs> um, that, that I feel like... We know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, that I feel like is influenced a lot by um, some some early music, early harmony stuff, kind of harmony singing and and uh, you know like Gregorian style kind of early harmony. I was more I was more interested in the lady and the uh, the uh, what do you call it the steak and shake. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> lovely story. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, met this woman, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty shy person when it comes to you know just being kind of out. And, 
out in the world talking, except for some reason when I'm on trails, I'm very talkative when I'm like out camping, maybe because there's usually no one else around. So like when you see somebody, you're like, Oh, hi, how are you? Like, talk to me. You know? <laughs> I feel that's like a, a, a sort of a characteristic of a lot of Americans because, you know, like in back in the days where they were humping over the top of mountains to try and get to, you know, the West coast and that you had to, the pioneer days, you had to be, you had to be friends with people because if you weren't, you know, they might be eating you that night or something, you know, so it's, uh, or you might not survive one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. You might not survive. <laughs> so I, I think that's a, a trait of a lot of Americans, which is, you know, admirable. Yeah. So I, so I, I encountered this woman working at a steak and shake and, um, I w- went in there with my girlfriend to get some milkshakes and, uh, you know, this, uh, this woman just started, you know, talking, well, I, I, I thought at first was just sort of kind of maybe like babbling a little to me, maybe bored, but also kind of referencing uh, religious stuff that I just, you know, thought was very out there. It was sort of like, you know, I told her my name was Dave and she's like, well, we had Daniel in here the other week. And, uh, you know, I asked him how the lion's den was, <laughs> you know, I was just kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> oh, really? wow. um, and, you know, my, my girlfriend went to the bathroom and I was just, you know, kind of like mulling around talking to her. And then she went and got her, uh, our, uh, our milkshakes and came back with them. And she was like, I stuck, I stuck my finger in both of them and tasted it and make sure it was all right. And I was like, all right, you know, a good joke, you know, it got me laughing and made me feel good. I, I'd been in kind of a crummy mood, just driving a while, traffic and all that. And yeah, it was, and I just, I don't know, was kind of grateful when I got back to the car for, to have that, you know, experience and just have that interaction and put me in a better mood. So it's that, that's the kind of thing that the, the song's about, really, just, you know. That's a lovely story. I like the thing I'm just going to quote. It's, you say, it's healthy to open your eyes and see that there are good things happening around us all the time, you know. Yeah. But we just have to be open to them, really. I love that. Yeah. That's something that uh, we, we, we talk a lot about. My... My wife is the one, the person who can see all those things in the world. She's like, you know, I, I'm sort of, you know, perhaps a little darker and doomier, you know, and and she's full of light and, and love and she helps, you know, helps me see, helps me, you know, see that, that side of life more, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, you're right. It's always there. It's always there. You have to be able to perceive it. I live in Berlin, you know. Um, <laughs> that's kind of a difficult um, place at times to uh, to um, you know to run into the lighter side of uh, life and see. I mean, LA, LA as well. Yeah, well, so, yes. Even though it's sunny outside, it's <laughs> yeah. I don't. What do they do now? I suppose in LA, they can, you go roll your windows and make sure your car's locked. You know, because here too, you know, because um, if you do something wrong in in a traffic maneuver, um, the Berliner will tell you exactly you know make it a point of getting out the car and telling you what you just did wrong oh yeah do 
do you do you drive around do you drive around Berlin? No, I stick now to um, like a cargo bike, like um, it's like a an, an e-bike with like two children in the front. The children are a great foil because they like children here, <laughs> so that's yeah. okay. But actually, my horns don't come out as often as they used to do when I was driving, so I'm kind of mellowing as a driver as well. We were talking to somebody else the other day about that about driving, and they they live here in in LA as well, and we you know. We're both from from Europe, and we're sort of saying, you know, when we first start driving around here, and people cut you off, you know, you get a bit upset at it, and maybe you get a bit mad at them, and then suddenly there comes that point where you realise, hmm, they probably have a gun in the car, so perhaps, you know, just wave nicely and smile and drive on and forget it, you know, because, uh, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. I've, I feel I feel so terrible when people get angry at me on the road for some reason. It's really crushing. I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, like it's the end. It's like ruins my day completely. I just like can't handle it. <laughs> oh, I, see. I, I think my saving grace. I, I, I've lived in uh, Berlin quite almost over a decade now and and um my german hasn't improved which i think has been a kind of saving grace really that i don't hear <laughs> i hear them but i have no idea what they're saying and it could be you know hey you're a really nice guy you're a really great driver yeah <laughs> only um i'm sure that's not what's going on because i can tell i can read the body language but the body language isn't as insulting somehow you know Right, you can misinterpret that. So yeah, I I, I kind of live in a, a sort of um, yeah my own little world quite often when I'm out and about, um, protected from the local yeah. banter. <laughs> yeah, I find I find my my ongoing uh, hearing hearing loss is is good for protecting me from all of that as well. <laughs> you know, I can walk around like Mr. Magoo and not not hear anything you know it's like did you hear that <laughs> no 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 it didn't <laughs> is this the uh this, this the the downsides to years of drumming and um no ear protection yeah okay yeah and you did you did you not wear your plugs much or neither of you ear, earplugs fans or did you back then there were no in-ear monitors there were nothing like that if i go to a gig now yeah i take i take earplugs and stuff like that but uh I think some of it's irretrievable, you know. I think I told you, didn't I? They, I think it was the Juju tour, and we decided that we'd try and get all of the like amps and wedges monitors off out clear the stage. So every we were playing theatre venues, so every venue we had a, quite a big crew that would build a stage on top of the, the existing stage that was tall enough away from the stage to swallow floor cans, you know, like right. the, those the big bulky lights that were in use at those times and the wedges with perspex and grills that covered the things and we did this every every night in different theaters it's a massive amount of work and i had these um two ampeg svts lying side down behind the riser at the back of the stage and just a row of amps so i could hear everybody's back line mm-hmm. and, and strapped to my head with gaffer tape Whereas like these lightweight Sennheiser, bright yellow, spongy headphones. Which, and we went through like a pair each night. <laughs> I don't know what that was doing to my young ears. But, um, and it didn't look kind of that good, you know, having headphones on. It looked like you were a bit kind of too studious, but it was actually quite... Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one to pull off, right? Sometimes, sometimes. 
<laughs> yeah, it was in a way. It was kind of quite an innovation because they did cut you off enough to if the jack came out or if the guy who was like, you know, my tech hadn't plugged them in <laughs> down down yeah. below the riser yeah. somewhere and and sometimes yeah. he fell asleep, you know. It was very unbanshee like to fall asleep during uh, you know yeah, yeah, no sleep really till till Hammersmith. It was no one. That was yeah. the T-shirt for that tour, right. and many of them. Yeah, tour, uh, what was it? Sleep luxury. No, no luxury until Bangkok, because that's where we were always apparently heading, but we never got there. David, tell us about the sevens. And sevens, I like. I like that the, your your album's coming out on. Well, it's out on the seventeenth. Yeah, out on the seventeenth, uh, out in twenty twenty three, which is also seven altogether. Uh, I just wanted I wanted the number seven to be once once there was seven songs on the record, it just kind of felt it made sense to me to have have the number seven be alive in the in you know the tide. I like you even more now. I realize you're a numerologist like me. I like that. I do like numbers. I do like numbers. They're they're interesting. Interesting how how it works. The good cure song three. I like that. I like that cure song. Interesting. Very interesting cure song. Yes, and that was that was definitely connected to that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of crazy piano and is that is that um, is that influenced by like kind of modern composition sort of avant-garde kind of stuff would you say yeah i'm gonna say yes i'm gonna say yes i mean (laughs) we we were probably like 22 when we did that so i i might yeah we were aware of stuff you know but especially for that album uh we decided at one point there's there's some recordings of us all playing each other's instruments because we decided hey we're going to do some tracks but you know i'm going to play guitar put Robert on the drums, you know, and then, uh, you know, just swap everything around a bit. And we recorded some stuff like that. So that was like the experimental part of it. And we wanted to, to come across with that. So yeah, there's always been been that in it. But uh, I think also at the end, we, we love love a good melody and a, and a good yeah. rhythm, you know. So that's uh, that tends to poke its ugly head up every so often, you know, above all the experimentation. You've just you, you've just spun me off back to my youth and uh, Hawkwind, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> it was a song called Seven by Seven. Oh yeah. And I can I can quote you a couple of lines from it. It says Seven Signs Road on Seven Stars, Seven Ways to Find the Long Lost Bards. <laughs> I love it. And then the, the let me look the last two lines are wonderful. No no more to cry, O oh mortal soul. The astral path is now your fortuitous role. Oh dear. I'll have to check that one out. I don't know if I know that oh, one. Oh, it's, uh, it's David Brock. Yeah. God, when was that released? Seventy um, three, I'd say. Yeah, somewhere around that. Seventy three. That's a good uh, seventy one actually. Okay, even earlier. Wow. Wow. That's good. Search of Space was a brilliant album. Yeah, I love that. Was that the one that had the the gatefold sleeve that turned into a shield? They all did. Well, <laughs> there was one that you you folded out and you could put your arm through the thing, take the record out, put your arm in. It was like this magical shield you could walk around with, you know, like. 
Can you imagine any record company wanting to pay for that now? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was the next the next album. This In Search of Space were how many how many Hawkwind albums were there? And it says quite a bit. Well, they they had a few lineup changes yeah. as well. Thirty five right? studio There's... albums. Oh my gosh! Didn't In Search of Space come with a, a, a like a booklet as well that said things about like you know mysterious facts like you know a little insect that sat on a on a plant for 35 years waiting to leap off and, and you know, commit its <laughs> destiny or something. I remember that. Search of Space is definitely the big prog one, right? That's definitely yeah. one of the more, the more popular yeah. rock ones. That certainly had a, not a lot of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I, I, I think I'm that... going to have to dig that one out, I'm afraid. <laughs> that points to us sort of like, you know, where we were, the juxtaposition of the, the bloody hippies and the damn punks, you know, it's sort of like... That's where we we surfaced. It's somewhere in between those things. So you get, you know, the hooks of both side get put in you. You know, so who was the guiding? I somebody I was talking to some guys in the uh, the college gig I do, and uh, they were talking about Lemmy. Yeah, and Lemmy just kind of came from the Hawkwind yeah. through into Motorhead, which embraced anything that came alongside of Motorhead. So punk came along and post punk. Lemmy was always at the bar. Yeah, still putting money into the uh, slot machine, you know. Slot machine and, and eating. An meanwhile, spot. you know, me and Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks, and then like, like you know, the the Clash would wander through, and the and there's Lemmy just putting more with a Jack and Coke, <laughs> and he was sort of like be the, the sort of granddaddy somehow, you know. Yeah. Going, it's all right. Yeah. Just just carry on doing what you're doing. You'll be all right. My favourite memory of him was we we played 1979. We played the Reading Festival, and you know mm. it was all it was all full of metalheads who didn't really like us much. You know, and he came and sat in our little backstage trailer and and told us, "You're all right, lads. Everything's going to be okay." And, and pulled out this big bottle of vodka and gave it to us. I remember. So he was always a nice guy in my mind. You know, always. you like playing festivals much um it depends i mean one festival i really liked that we did 1985 in in uh, athens in greece and there was like hundred thousand people in this old um olympic stadium and that was that was a really good good night i loved that one i can still remember it but um but there was a riot as well, which wasn't so great, you know. But well, you had to have a riot, didn't you? It, yeah, Greece, Italy, it's always a riot. Always a riot, yeah. And the police would come on stage and try and, like, yeah, stop the audience, tear gas. Well, I remember seeing policemen being carted out at the back of the backstage area in Athens, you know, having been, you know, knocked out by flying debris or things. You know, it was it was pretty scary. Yeah. And the water cannons came out and stuff. I sound, I sound like the old guy talking about the Second World War now, don't I? <laughs> no, the Banshees never really got the festival spirit. We liked it dark in the theatre. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I agree, I agree. You know, our own gig. I think the, the Lollapalooza was perhaps the, the only experience of that nature. It was so unique and just too much, really. It was too much, I think, than anybody could handle. The, the idea, because it 
traveled around the States for a couple of years, I think, and then it's, it kind of just said, you know what, we'll just stay in Chicago. Let everybody come to us. But it was quite unique. And the last gig we played as Susie and the Banshees was a beach festival. Oh, God, it was in Belgium, I think. And it was bright, brilliant sunlight. And we just thought, this is no way to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, conversely, that probably made it better to feel like it's ending because it's like if it was going to be like this we better bloody stop now <laughs> right. just let my wrists now and let me <laughs> be gone um and then it becomes the beginning of the next chapter really i think that's what's always been amazing is just you know lol and i finding each other after all these years none of this would have happened without all the stuff that went before it and all the stuff that went before it is is amazing to think back on but um somehow you've got to keep changing you've got to be or, or just maybe open to change do you, do you find that with what you're doing oh yeah that's always sort of been the been the animal collective philosophy you know just keep keep changing and keep rolling with the with the changes it seems like uh, even even situations that have, have seemed like they were going to be a disaster or bad sometimes you just have to turn them into yes yeah, into something good something yeah grow from it and, and move on and, and and nothing, nothing lasts, right? Like nothing, nothing is supposed to. It's you, you can't hold on to anything, really. So it's best to no, <laughs> no. There's nothing to hold on to. There really isn't anything to hold on to, you know. And and uh, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? You know, like uh, lack of control. Lack of control is our dilemma, you know, because hey, you can't control any of this, and so you just have to. It's like surfing. You have to be on top of the wave and ride with it until you fall off, you know. And I've I've fallen off a few times. <laughs> it's also the blessing and curse of, of making uh, great records, you know, and and leaving leaving these kind of landmarks in in, in time. You know what I mean? It's because those 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 records people hold on to, you know, and it, and it, and it becomes a different kind of perspective and a point of view, you know, because you know you get locked into that time of when you put out that old record or whatever and it's maybe sometimes harder for other people to move on from that than than it is for me or what do you think will be happening for you next are you going to be are you going to go out live yeah i'm going to go do a do a short uh north american tour um to start and we'll see where it goes from that you know get into it um in uh in the spring and then yeah see where it goes from there any big changes for you yeah is it as the the time off given you uh time to think or rethink or is it is it business as usual or is it something uh it's a little bit of everything i mean i think this this year feels like a, a sort of a good change move mm. into move into move into new territory kind of a kind of a frame of mind and so I'm, I'm seeing where it goes i'm open to it you know i uh just got we got done uh you know a lot of animal collective touring last year so this year's gonna be different than that yeah just take it every, every year differently you know <laughs> I, wa- I did. I was curious if you guys were open to talking about it just a little. Like, uh, I was just curious how psychedelics uh, factored into your your uh, creative day. Your, yeah, psychedelics. Your, what what, what could it mean? <laughs> psychedelic drugs. Oh, Sorry. Oh, psychedelic, okay. okay. As they're as um, they as they are called. Um, just uh, when you know, when I was in high school, 
I, I got I got into making music because of you know the classic '60s psychedelic and Sid Barrett was you know a big fan. But then I also thought a lot of records of y'all's era, you know, pornography. Yeah. You know, were were psychedelic records to me, but you don't they don't really jump out to you as as psychedelic records, and they're not you know you're, that scene isn't really sort of presented as a a psychedelic scene. I mean, but I mean, and maybe it is, but, but, but to me, like in high school, it all, it, that, that was great psychedelic music, what you, what you, what y'all did. And so I'm just curious how, how that played into it. I think that you correctly categorized pornography. Yes. Correctly. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but I would say it was probably the darker side of, of psychedelia, you know, which end up, turning out the record that we turned out but um yeah yeah it it took a little while some of the some of the days in the studio were um challenging but it's still my favorite record we ever made as the cure you know um but it was it was everything all out and yeah you know especially yeah robert has always had a, an interest in those things and you know they were always there what so, year was that what year was that like uh 81 82 something like that i think well yeah. I, i've just pulled up because i know that a kiss in the dream house is yeah that would be another one i'd say or kaleidoscope world it's been re repackaged on on re uh, redone on vinyl uh, some kind of collector's thing it's uh, i just saw it up on Susie's site and it and it says here what Julian Marcellic of the Quietus said proved to be one of the great British psychedelic bands we were. But um, yeah, there was a there was some kind of pretty trippy stuff going on around Camden Town uh, in those months, um, June to August, nineteen eighty-two. I can see it at the corner yes. of my eye. Yes. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I, I I'm sort of writing a little memoir at the moment, and that that's one uh, area I would like to venture back into. Just. Just trying to piece it all together. There, there was a lot of experimentation going on, which can be great. It, it just about worked. You know, we would go up to Camden and turn into the studio, having been to the Greek restaurant where we drank Retzino because nobody else would drink the stuff. And um, But we would really did, would just be playing around with loops and tapes and, um, and slowing the kit down as it was going to tape without telling me you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I still have the cassette where everybody's kind of like you know that kind of button when it goes down in the steam they're going like all you can hear in the background is like <laughs> you know can, are you going to tell him yet no and I'm going uh, and listen guys this is it's really not funny What's I, it doesn't sound very funny I mean it just sounds a bit weird <laughs> and um, I, I'm just like losing it rapidly in, in this little booth of the drum kit but um a lot of kind of really interesting stuff came out of it and lyric wise very pretty rare there's a lot of reference going on i think also for the cure that our roots were you know I was, when people asked me to describe what the cure were i'd say we were a psychedelic punk band because that's the truth you know the 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 records that we listened to earlier on was you know it was um trout mask replica you know like we we had that and if you listen to that when you're like 12, 13, which we did, 
you know at first it, you know you can't listen to it you think oh my god what's going on here i can't understand it and then suddenly you get the key into it um it's very good i made my son listen to that actually when he was about 12 and he thanks me for it now you know but um yeah that's where we came from we came from the psychedelic stuff and and you know the other stuff that goes with that of course has to come in you know but then all of a sudden there was uh there was punk. So, you know, that's it. It's two sides of, of different coins maybe, but that, that was the, that was the impetus for us doing what we did. Mm. Susie was a big fan of Jim Morrison. I can see that the doors first album, I think kiss in the dream house, which was like inspired by Gustav Klimt, his artwork, but there's like a kind of a little homage to the, the, the kind of the band in, nestling in jim's hair you know that kind of stuff yeah there's there's a little like little okay you can get it if you know what's going on um and there's lots of tricks that you know we we somehow stumbled across like jim morrison would constantly whisper the words in the background of the spot you know yeah uh, bob does that all the time yeah uh, he'd sit there and, and it was funny when we uh we, I did a tour with them back in 2011. We did like the first three albums, and uh, you know, for the first time, because the Cure never used tracks ever, right? You know, was, everything was played from the stage, you know, apart from the the reel to reel for the drum machine. Um, but we we had some noises in pornography, um, but you know now everybody uses some kind of track, so we had tracks. But we take things off off the multi track. And it'd be like, you know, Bob's backwards whispering echoes and things, you know. So, so it's kind of funny, you know, like listening to them in, in you know, soloed, you know. The, right. Really? What were you on when you said all that stuff? It's like <laughs> four o'clock in the morning and you're mumbling into the mic, you know. We, we used to have the kind of the, uh, the LSD uh, listening quiz you know it was kind of what does the does the music stand up to a trip (laughs) and i thought i think like yeah yeah i I remember sitting with billy chainsaw one night and we've just like the human league star had just come out we're going like can't hear any music there's nothing going on here it's weird (laughs) and then billy kind of a rainbow came out of his mouth you know it's kind of weird um can't really really piece together any kind of sense out of uh, you know the stuff you try to explain about right yeah hard to to describe it's kind of weird because it went in several different phases you know the, the kind of the availability of hallucinogenics and stuff like that um our our producer who we shared with the cure as well mike hedges who also did the associates first a bunch of albums um he was always on the hunt for rare peyote and stuff you know Uh i got some peyote (laughs) there's only a little bit of it so i can't share David, it's lovely to meet you. That's really nice. Yes, lovely to meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you guys. Great talking to you. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. 
Digital Marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and Logo Design, Justin Thomas K. Music Production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023.